And the fact of the matter is that the brain can hold multiple positions on a given idea. The heart can only hold one. And so I'm going to live out of what my heart believes. Spiritual Warfare and the Mind, today on In the Shadow of the Cross. everybody to another episode of In the Shadow of the Cross. I am Lauren Rosser and I'm here once again with my friends Jim Durkin. Hello. And Michael Harden. Hello. And we are going to be continuing our discussion on spiritual warfare because the time just flew by so fast last time that uh, there was a lot we still wanted to talk about. So I I know one of the areas I wanted to talk about was uh, principalities and powers, just because a lot of that has shifted in my thinking after reading, um, particularly uh, Michael's book, The Jesus Driven Life. But there's, I know there's a lot of other ground we want to cover. So is there somewhere in particular that you guys want to start? We should start with Ephesians chapter six, because it's the most extended piece of prose in the New Testament. On this. Okay. So, um, before we walk through that, I, I, you know, it's you know the, the text is familiar to most people. Um, be strong in the Lord, and the strength of, of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Notice, listen to very carefully. Put on the whole armor of God, right? And then things get listed: a helmet, a breastplate, a, a, a belt, you know, a sword. Bup, 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 right? I want to read to you this business about the armor of God from two Jewish texts that preceded Paul. The first comes out of Isaiah chapter 59. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw there was no one and was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So he, his own arm brought him victory and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, wrapped himself in fury like a mantle. According to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries, requital to his enemies, etc. And this comes out of a text written about 400, 500 years later, the Wisdom of Solomon. And it reads, the Lord will take his zeal as his whole armor and will arm all creation to repel his enemies. He will put on righteousness as a breastplate and wear impartial justice as a helmet. He will take holiness as an invincible shield and sharp and and stern wrath for a sword, and creation will join with him to fight against his friends and foes. So Paul is obviously drawing on the Jewish tradition to talk about the armor of God. Yeah. What is different about Paul's armor from the Jewish tradition, it omits zeal, vengeance, holiness. It eliminates those because those are all oriented to violence. Right? Interesting. Yeah. So Paul's armor is not for offensive use. It's purely for defensive purposes. Interesting. Now, so it's interesting. Do, do you think when Paul is writing that, 
he's doing that on purpose, doing that contradiction. Absolutely, absolutely. So he's making a point. He's going, this is the way it is. This is the this way is the father the is. is. That's right. This is the armor of God. That's interesting because, again, it brings the thing where um, it really pokes holes in that whole thing of that everything is perfectly in unity all throughout Scripture. Um, mm -hmm. and once again, we see that there there is a dialogue taking place between different voices. Yeah. Now let's look at a second text. We come back to these texts. This is a text that Jim cited in last week's talk. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. <laughs> Indeed, we live as human beings, but we do not wage war according to human standards. Our weapons of warfare are not human, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every proud obstacle raised against the knowledge of God. Yeah. This is my quote. I'm reading out of the the, the uh, Bible, Eddie, Understanding Spiritual Warfare, one of the essays I wrote in there. This is what I wrote. The weapons of the Christian life are not for casting out demons. They are epistemological in character. They are intended to change the way people think, to alter their perspectives. Yes. The purpose of spiritual yes. warfare is to create obedience to Jesus in his way, which is not oriented to zeal or wrath like Phineas, but is a war waged with love of the enemy other, forgiveness for the sinner and esteem for the marginalized. If the armor of God is given in Ephesians chapter six, the strategy and tactics are given in the Sermon on the Mount. Wow. Uh, you, you know what immediately comes to mind when, when you read that it is... I picture in the civil rights movement when Martin Luther King Jr., when they were getting ready to encounter violence and they would actually train for it. Mm -hmm. They would, they would go in the churches and they would have different, they would have a person sit in a chair who's going to go out and march or go into the restaurant or the cafe where blacks aren't allowed. Mm -hmm. And they would have people pretend to be the people harassing them and sit mm -hmm. there and yell at mm -hmm. them and scold them and push them and, and all that. So, th so they would practice not responding with violence and, mm -hmm. and being peaceful in their response that immediately comes to mind. Cause when you talk about the armor of God, now it goes from it being just this solely spiritual thing. And like you said, an offensive thing to it becoming a defensive thing, but that may I respond in love. May I respond in grace? May I respond in uh, in in mercy? You know, it 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 changes the tone of the armor is 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 so that my response, like you said, is in line with the Sermon on the Mount, as opposed to a vengeful God. Mm -hmm. So, Jim, you were you were nodding your head through a lot of that. What are your thoughts? Well, he was just nodding off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh. The non-charismatic uh, Michael uh, puts me to sleep. That's right. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> no, uh, um, the scripture you read in uh, 2 Corinthians, <laughs> Second Corinthians, <laughs> um, is, is, is a scripture that, that has um, intrigued me for a long time. Uh, in the early 2000s, um, I did a uh, conference twice a year uh, called The Transformation of the Heart. 
I still do it every once in a while, not as often. But I would take 25 or so people uh, to a retreat center, and we would go through the conference and have an exercise and whatever. Uh, but um, in it, I use that scripture that we need to understand that we have within us uh, because it was a transformation of the heart. It was it was the beliefs of the heart that we have three levels. We have the level of strongholds, beliefs that uh, perhaps are there because of the culture, because of our uh, uh, family of origin, our societal uh, beliefs, whatever. But they're strongholds. They're they are there. Uh, you know, they're the mountains that we will die on. And then there are thoughts, imaginations, and then there's things that exalt themselves against my really knowing God. And there are weapons that God's given to us, um, not the least of which is the word of God himself. Uh, Notice I say himself, not itself. I'm not talking about a book. Uh, who it's in him that we live, move, and have being that we find the strength to tear those things down, to come against and to break strongholds. And it's it has to do with our understanding, our belief system. It, it, it isn't about an entity that has taken a hold of us and and has a stronghold in our in us and we've got to constantly be binding and rebuking and casting and whatever things you bind on earth will be bound in heaven you know and and it's 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 really about um i almost hesitate to reduce it to this but it 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 is it's about levels of our thought life Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not, uh, that's not reductionistic. That's that's just speaking truth. Yeah, yeah. Well, reason I say re- reduce it to this is a, a person thinks, oh no, it's more than just what I think. Well, really, it's not. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's really not more than what you think. It's yeah. what you think on a much deeper level. Um, there are some in um, your um, in in certain circles uh, that believe that the heart, and we're actually even talking about the physical heart now, that the heart that retains uh, memory, the mm-hmm. heart which has uh, forty thousand neurons in the physical heart communicates with the brain more than the brain communicates to the heart. And that the heart is perhaps what psychologists used to call the subconscious mind. That part of me that holds and retains, Scripture says that I live out of my heart. Uh, it's out of my heart that my mouth speaks. And um, that, that we're looking at things that there are thoughts, if you will, strongholds, that never seem to enter the brain, if you will, or the mind. 
and yet they control how the mind thinks. Mm -hmm. And it is only the word of God that has the power to go down to that level and transform. That's why we're we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Uh, it, it takes a transformation, and if you if you want to call that deliverance, fine, call it deliverance. But we're really talking about a transformation of our whole thought process, if you will. Yeah, that's really good, Jim, because you really hit on how it is that we can so often mentally agree with something and yet live completely apart from that reality. You know, it's like, I I think of, and I just use this by way of example. Um, A a friend of mine, uh, uh, Jim, it's our mutual friend, David Fredrickson. Um, He, he has mentioned how it's fascinating that he, he can have somebody who is a, a, has a PhD in church history. Yeah. And he will, and he will talk about that if if he if he shares with him, you know that that the church is not a building, that it's the community, it's the people. He will mentally agree with him. He will say yes, that is absolutely yes. true. And yes. he goes, yet he will open every service with "Welcome to the house of God," and mm-hmm. and just using that as an example, not not trying to go down that rabbit hole or anything. Just using that as an example of how. We can have something that we mentally agree with, go, yeah, this is true. And yet, why is it that we will completely embrace a, a, a completely different reality? And and it really and that's that's just using as an example, but there's tons of things we could go through in, in, in our lives tons. and other people's lives where you tons. you'll see that, oh yes, th- this is the truth, this is the way it is. And yet I completely embrace through my actions, my deeds and everything, a completely different reality because, because that's what's really in my heart. That's the reality that's there. That's really good, Jim. Much, much of religion, Christian religion, is that. The, the preaching, um, I will sit under a preacher and I will wholeheartedly agree with him and I can walk out of that service and sit with another preacher and wholeheartedly agree with him, and he's saying the exact opposite of what the first preacher was saying. Because my brain, if you will, has the ability to hold multiple positions on any given thought. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. And uh, he also requires that we go in and we kill every man, woman, and child, except for the virgins, and those you get to keep as the spoil of war. You know, it's, it's, you know, and it's like, but God is good all the time. And it's like, you know, I'm laying on my sickbed and maybe even possibly dying, and I'm like, well, God's just trying to get my attention. Well, something is haywire. And and the fact of the matter is that the brain can hold multiple positions on a given idea. The heart can only hold one. And so I'm going to live out of what my heart believes. So if I believe that God is two-faced, it doesn't matter how many times when the pastor says God is good that I yell all the time, and then he says all the time, and I yell God is good. It doesn't matter how many times I say that. 
It doesn't matter how many times I stand up and think and and give a testimony. I thank God that he always is good. He's always doing good things for me because my heart believes, and therefore I believe, that he made me sick to teach me some kind of a lesson. And, you know, and, and, you know, all kinds of other things. So what you're saying, Lauren, is absolutely right. Uh, getting back to the subject of warfare or, you know, Satan or however, whatever we want to talk about, we have to come to the place where we allow our heart to open up to the teaching of the word of God. God is a God is a heart person. He's not a he's not a mind person, if you will. Well, I'll just give you some things to think about here. It's I want to transform your heart. I want to get down to the core of this thing. And I want to to use charismatic terms, I want to give you breakthrough. I want to give you victory. You know. So I, I'm I'm all into people being set free. But the only way I see that they can be set free is by the truth of the word. Yes. Isn't that kind of the, um, I mean, help me out here because I, I, but isn't that kind of what revelation is, is you get, you get information, but revelation is when it's like, oh, it, now it changes my heart. It's, it goes beyond just being information I have in my head. It becomes reality to me. It, it, would that be what revelation is? Well, I think, I, well, revelation is the beginning of it transforming your heart. You have to have insight. You have to have revelation, if you will. Um, I, I remember years ago, a, 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 a guy was saying, well, it's not really revelation, it's illumination. So whatever, uh, you know, tomatoes, tomatoes. Right, know. yeah. Uh, but nonetheless... But for it to be become a belief of your heart, um, it takes a work. It really takes a work of the Holy Spirit to challenge the thoughts that have held you, if you will, in bondage. Okay, the these um, lesser than God thoughts of the way things are, and and it starts with the revelation. Absolutely. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, the cross. Let's get back to the cross for a minute, because we, we can't leave that. Yeah. Um, the cross is not about penal substitution. But I believe that for 60, 65, 70 years, that that's what it was about. As long as I believe that, even if I heard messages to the contrary, I might say amen to that message to the contrary. And in that moment, I might think I believe the message to the contrary. But I'm going to return back to living my life based on the belief that it's about penal substitution. And so my life is going to go in a certain direction. Now, when the revelation comes to me, when my eyes are opened and I actually see something different, I see scapegoating, I see in that, I see Father in Christ reconciling the world to himself. When I begin to see those things, 
Now I have a battle. And that battle is what we're talking about right now. Now I'm in a spiritual warfare because I've had a stronghold of a belief system that has shaped my worldview. It shaped my religion. It shaped my relationship with God. And it shaped my relationship with Christ's family. And now this new revelation comes and now there's a war going on and it's it's um sometimes it's pretty easy sometimes i just simply repent if you will change the way i think Mm -hmm. and that new revelation is there but sometimes those beliefs are strongholds that this battling is going to go on for a while and I write in my book that the battle with me uh, lasted a long time, and in that battle, I thought I was going insane. I thought I was backsliding. I thought I was believing or being disillusioned and believing the lie. I, I, I thought all kinds of things as I went back and forth in this battle to bring into my heart a whole different set of belief systems, if you will. That's really good. I'm connecting dots here because we talked a couple weeks ago about Christian hope. And Mm -hmm. uh, Michael brought up the scripture about um, how suffering produces character. And and as we become more Christ-like, that's what gives us hope. And, And I'm sitting here going... What is a lot of that suffering? A lot of that suffering. Now, of course, we talked about that there's real suffering that it's talking about. But also a lot of that suffering we encounter is simply because we won't let go of that mindset that's bringing us such misery. Um, We become like, uh, what is it? They talked about the the analogy where uh, to catch monkeys, they would drill the little hole in the tree and put a shiny object in there. And the monkey would grab the shiny object and refuse to let go. And, uh, but we make it like it's a trivial thing, just let go. But if your whole worldview tells you everything is going to collapse, if I let go of this, that's no small thing. And so there's tremendous suffering that goes with that. And, and sometimes I think, Jim, what I'm hearing you say is sometimes that that's that spiritual warfare is that's that changing your mentality that that mindset has to go and that can be very painful. And sadly, often that that the only way we discover those mindsets is what Michael shared a couple of weeks ago about Christian hope is that suffering. Because that suffering brings us to the end of ourselves, and then those mindsets surface pretty quickly. Like you said, Jim, you get really sick. God didn't put that sickness on you, but you discover you think that because you're you're now you're now sick. Friend of mine who's a hospital chaplain shared how when family members are dying or when people themselves are dying, you dis- you discover all the whacked out theologies they have real quick. Because all of a sudden it's like, oh, God is doing this to me. God's taking my life or, you know, all these things. And, and it's like, it's that suffering that really surfaces that bad thinking. And, and that's where, Jim, from what you're talking about, that's where our heart beliefs really are surfaced. And that's yeah. where a lot of times it's like, it's like how Lily said one time, you know, it's that thing of 
what is it? We found the enemy and we, we are they, you and know, he is she, us. Yeah. He is us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Lily likes always, that's from the old Pogo cartoon. Yeah. 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 Lily likes to right. point out how, you know, we were always talking about the bad, bad Pharisees. And then through mm-hmm. our suffering, we discovered, uh, we're them. Yeah. We're the Pharisees. Yeah. We're the villains in the story, you yeah. know? And, and so that's just an example of, of, of what you're talking about, Jim. So Michael, what are your thoughts on this? Well, Jim, Jim brought up something that, that I think is worth pursuing. The mind has many thoughts. The heart has one. I think this is really key. The heart can be like stone. And then some people have minds that are like cement, all mixed up and permanently set. Hmm. <laughs> okay. That's true. When the, spirit, the spirit's best work is done in and through the process of changing our thinking on things. That's what the spirit does. It changes our perspective, right? Something may happen in life. Bam! It's an event. It's what the tarot readers call a tower moment. It's an event that changes everything. There are many perspectives one can take on any given event. Okay? Yes. The healthiest perspective it's just to recognize that a change is occurring. And it's okay. It's okay to leave the old behind and move into the future. But our tendency is to try and, and, and overanalyze it and figure out why is this happening? What's going on? Bup, bup, bup. Instead of just saying, you know, this is my life at the moment. These things are happening. And the challenge for me is how do I handle these situations with grace, peace in my heart and mind, you know? Rather than, in other words, the spirit teaches us how to respond. The world just te- shows us how to react. Yeah, that's that's very true. It's true that we. Um, I, I like how you were talking about that. That the right perspective is that it's change, because we are constantly in a state of change. It's just sometimes we see it; it becomes more obvious than other times. You know, we have those long periods where things seem to stand still. And then, uh, and then you have sometimes moments where it's abrupt change and things are, things are happening very quickly. And, uh, and it seems like so much of the battle that Christians have is simply as human beings, we don't like change. And so, so much of the battle is simply fighting change that I don't want change, whatever that change is. It could be on a personal level. It could be on a, on a, a theological level, what, whatever level that is. It's that that change is happening, but what is my response to that change? And that's really where, again, it takes us to the place of connecting with Father and takes us back to the cross of of seeing how Jesus walked through change. It was incredibly painful, but he did it with such grace and mercy and kindness that that right there is actually the standard of, of approaching change. But that brings us back to to warfare. So how is how is change in thinking? How does that tie into what we're talking about with with spiritual warfare? Okay, so you mentioned principalities and powers at the outset. We we did discuss that last week too. It's important to note that Paul uses the exact same language of principalities and powers for the spiritual and the physical. Um, he uses the, with reference to the Roman government, he calls them a principality and power. Okay. Now, governments, all 
engage in violence and force, all of them, right? That's what makes them a principality in power. Any, any institution or person that uses force or coercion or manipulation to, to get their way is satanic. And basically that means the Christian church in America is possessed because that's the only way they know how to do things. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you, the, the, the Christians need to get delivered. I, I hear exactly what you're saying because is um, I mean this has been this week has been a particularly hot week. By the time this record recording goes out, it'll be a few weeks ago. But what was a hotbed of uh, court decisions and and things like that happening on the political end, and uh, and of course, depending on where you stand in Christianity, you know it's either yeah we won and we got this to happen, or we're being attacked and we need to go on on the offensive and. And as we're talking about this and what you're talking about, Michael, I, I, again, it takes me back to the whole thing of the cross of that. What you're saying is that our our response needs to shift from it being a, a militant manipulation kind of attitude, but rather one that's like Jesus, grace, mercy, love, whether we're on the winning or the losing side. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but I, but I like what you're talking about, principalities of powers, the the whole thing of using violence and coercion. Man, there is so much of that going on right now. And like you said, in the church, in Christianity, there is so much of that going on, using violence and coercion and the power of the government and everything to force my way upon somebody else. This is behind all dominion theology thinking. You know, the, you know, the, the whole dominion theology. Is, is evil at its core. It's evil. And, and so we have to, again, we're, we're back to redefining things for people, for the church. The church has, it takes, it, it, it's vocabulary, God, the devil, sin, church, holiness, sanctification, all, it has all this language, but it's loaded that language with false meaning or false reference. Little wonder the church is so ineffective. Michael, if you could unwrap something here, because you talked about the principalities and powers being spiritual and being in the natural. And I remember in your book, you talked about the natural side of when when Jesus stripped the principalities and and powers, when he he stripped them bare. Mm -hmm. Um, Could you expand on what that means? Because that that like revolutionized my my view of the cross. Well, it's, it's pretty simple. It's this. It's an amazing tale of a of a dying man forgiving his enemy in the name of the God that he believes in and trusts. It it that forgiveness is given because there is something that's happening, right? Right. You with me so far? Yeah. Now there's a text in the Gospel of John where the writer has Jesus say. Nobody takes my life from me. I give it up freely. In other words, if we didn't take Jesus' life on Calvary, it's not murder, is it? We didn't take his life. He gave it to us. He gave us his life. We didn't take it. He gave it to us, right? 
We took what he gave. He gave us his life. We took it, right? That act that uh, of this absolutely innocent person um, being killed by religious authorities for religious reasons and political reasons and probably economic ones too, because they, I'm sure they didn't care for his teaching on money. <laughs> Um, turns out, in fact, to be um, the salvation of the world. But Jesus refuses, absolutely refuses the victim mentality. Nobody takes my life from me. He refuses the victim mentality that we see is so prevalent in the world today. You know, you, you, you can't utter three syllables out of your mouth without somebody telling you you're being politically incorrect or a heretic. Yeah, that, that's really, really good. And then in the sense of Jesus not going that path, doesn't basically he exposes the, the government and the powers for what they are. Yes, and uh, religion for what it is. Because if the um, as Paul will, by, by eliminating zeal, see, in the book of Galatians is all about the problem of zeal and, whole, excuse me, and its correlate holiness. One is zealous for God because God is holy. Okay, so zeal and holiness belong together. They're flip sides of a coin. The entire book of Galatians is an argument against zeal, and especially in chapter 3. It's a little hard to see because Paul doesn't come out and name it as such, but when you look at some of the underlying texts that are influencing his thinking, like that of Phineas in Numbers chapter 25, okay, uh, we see Paul really... Uh, having to deal with this issue of zeal and holiness as the problem. Um, <clears throat> again, what happened at Antioch? Zeal and holiness. Separate the Jews and the Christians. Now you have two Eucharists, not one, right? Zeal, right? Why do churches split? Because there's always some hot, zealous hothead saying the preacher's wrong, the preacher's wrong, you know. <laughs> zeal is a problem, Okay. Loving God and zeal are two very different things. Yes. One is truth and the other is falsehood. Now, could you define zeal? Just because I'm thinking there are people listening who they associate zeal with the other side. They no. don't see that they're zealous. Zeal is when you believe something so strongly that you will use violence, coercion, manipulation, or force to get the other person to come to your side of, of thinking. Bam. And, and, and the there person, it is. Then the person that cements this in church history is Augustine. And what, what did Augustine do? He said, look, man, some people are elected to heaven. Some are elected to hell. We have to use every means available, including torture, to get people to confess Christ as their savior, because otherwise they'll suffer eternally being tortured by God. Right. I cemented that view into the entirety of Western Christendom. I'm, I'm thinking because as you're sharing that, you know, just social media just loaded with, with that kind of zeal, you know, oh, it's like, it's, I have to, I have to destroy you because you don't think like me. Oh yeah. And, and yet it's done in the name of righteousness. Oh yeah. 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 It, it's absurd. It's absurd what you see. on The Christians are amazing because most of them don't read a book. 
you know, or if they do, they, they read a limited selection to their kind of thing. And then they sit and they're trying to argue these positions. Number one, that, that, that aren't useful, useful anyway. They're, they're, they're false presuppositions. And two, they don't realize that there's a difference between a healthy debate and dialogue and, and even passionate debate. As, as long as we recognize that at the end, we we still care about each other as brothers and sisters. Right. Right. And you don't find that on social media. Right. No. Exactly. And, and and that's and see this this hits on that what we're talking about with spiritual warfare is if we're talking about mentalities and 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 ways that that we think and, and take action, if it shows that if if I'm in that realm of trying to crush another, manipulate another, coerce another, use any kind of force against another, then I'm in that spirit, if you will, of the world. Right. So I'm, I'm no different than that government I hate, <laughs> basically. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, or like you've shared before, we end up mirroring our enemies. Yeah. So let, let's just, because it's so apropos, apropos, take the recent Supreme Court decision on LGBTQ issues, for example. So you have a divided nation. Half this nation believes that this court just did the will of God. Half this nation believes this court just went against the will of God. Mm-hmm. Right? So yeah. So we have a problem here. Yeah. <laughs> right? What do what will happen next is we are going to see an upsurge in zeal. Right. Right. From the left. They're going to be zealous in attacking anything right wing at all. And and it's really, it's a terrible thing because we talk about the right and the left as though they're discrete entities. They're not, they, 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 they're almost, they're, they're the same structurally. It's just that they have little pieces of their theology are different, but structurally they're the same. Yeah. So take wokeism, okay? Um, wokeism is being shoved down our throats mm-hmm. by the global elite. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now that may sound weird coming from me because I'm very LGBTQ affirming and, and, and you know, these kinds of things. But there's a difference between being, being inclusive, okay, in one's thinking and then requiring everyone to think the way you think, okay? So I, I myself, have a much easier time conversing with the conservative tradition because it believes in the Bible, it believes in Jesus. I mean, it has these values, right? The liberals, it's impossible to converse with because their Bible is now wokeism. Their Bible is now... Uh, ramming an agenda down the world's throats. And you can see this, by the way, on the institutional level or the level of principalities and powers with what's known as ESG requirements for for, uh, corporations, environmental social governance, right? And part of that social piece, as Larry Fink of BlackRock has said, is that, yes, it is our mission to make sure that we we have plenty of, of representation of all various groups, you know, you have all these older white men saying it now that they're heading toward their deathbed. They wouldn't have said this 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. 
Right. Right. Um, and so I saw zeal is an issue. Nazeal is satanic. If you're a zealot, you're satanic. That was Peter in the room. Lord, you went to the wrong seminary. You got the wrong theology. We were, got a Davidic warrior, Messiah, come and do your damn job, you know? And it's like, you're Satan. That's satanic. That thought process is satanic. So, so really, think about it this way. You want, you want a mind blower? You go to any typical Christian church on a Sunday morning. It's a room full of Satan worshipers. You think about it. I'm not. I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about Bahamut. Yeah. Or the current. Or the current sat- sat- the, have you seen the Satanic Church's creed? No. I, I would sign it. <laughs> I would mostly. There's one or two pieces in there I'm kind of eh, on, but for the most part, it's the gospel. <laughs> now, how bizarre is that? How bizarre is it that the church of, of uh, the, the Satanists, not the church, the Satanists, have produced this creed that is that is really mostly gospel? And how is it that the Christian church, which is supposed to preach good news, is preaching bad news and teaching people to do bad things? Oh, I, I can't, I can't sleep with your wife, but I can shoot you. You know, I, I have a right to, to, to own a gun. By God, it's a God-given right. God gave me the right to own a gun. You idiots, <laughs> idiot, idiot thinking. Well, idiot. And, it, and it's like for anybody out there who's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, saying it's satanic. The thing is, is remember Jesus turned to the Pharisees and he said, "You're doing what your father does, the devil." Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, this is why I had to quit going to church. I wasn't going to worship Satan anymore. Not, 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 I, you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I want, I want to pick up on something you were saying earlier. And I want to go back to um, what I was sharing earlier on, on the heart. Um, in, in researching that and studying that, there are two, and scripture brings this out, there are two core or fundamental, um, if you will, uh, emotions that dictate all of our belief systems. There's fear and there's love. That's it. There's fear and love. And it's interesting then scientifically, they're coming to understand that fear releases certain chemicals in the brain. Right. Okay. Uh the first one that most people would be familiar with is adrenaline, the flight, fright, or, or, or uh, freeze, um, you know, and think in terms of that fight, flight, or freeze, you know, and the first being fight, <laughs> you know, I'm a fight, you know. Um, love releases another whole set, and Scripture says that perfect love casts out fear. Well, they're finding scientifically that that's true. Yeah. That uh, uh, you get frightened, I mean, really frightened, and have somebody come over and just put their arm around you and hold you, it that 
cuddle hormone is released in your brain and it quiets down the the cortisone the adrenaline so on and so forth okay so now let's get get down to some practical fear any decision that i make that is a decision based on fear releases so it can be anything from turning down a job because I don't believe I'm qualified for it. That's a fear-based decision. Changing my way of thinking about God because what if I'm wrong is a fear-based decision. Anything that is fear is anything that is unfamiliar. I'm afraid of the unfamiliar. Love is those things that bring comfort. It's, it is the familiar. Here's where things have, have gotten twisted up. The world system leads me to think in terms of a way of living which is self-centered and translating that as love, not fear, translating that as love. So I take care of myself. I pamper myself. And here's something Michael was talking about, but I want to read a scripture that says it, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desire that is at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. We're talking about fear-based versus love-based. Love-based says, you know what? God wants good for me, so I'll receive from God what God wants to give me. Fear-based says, I know what I need, so I'll do whatever I have to do to get that. Man, that's good, Jim. And... What the end result of it is, according to the writer of James, the end result here is quarrels, arguments, fights, and ultimately whole wars over what? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Man, that's good, Jim. Because I'm immediately I'm I'm looking at that in so many levels. But but one is just just taking example in in the political climate. It's like okay, wh- whatever side of the you're on, it's that I want my rights. I want and my so, rights. So because yeah. when we when we read that about what is the source of quarrels quarrels among you, you want and you don't have. So so often it's like, well, I want money. I want a car. I want, you know, so we think of materialism. But it's like, no, it, it comes to things like it, things that we think of are, are actually good to have. You know, I want my rights. I want this, you know, I, I want the government needs to stop doing this evil thing, whatever it is. 
but it's that, like you said there, that I will fight, I will quarrel, I will, I will kill, I will murder, I will do whatever I need to obtain that. Well, it's, I'll take, I, I'll take a shot across the bow of the charismatic church. Okay. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> I want that man's anointing. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I want to be a better preacher than that guy. Yeah. I, I I want 17 jets. I want, you know, and it's like, what? Right. How about just wanting to find myself in Christ? Why, yeah. why not be hungry for that? So it's real easy to see the mimetic theory here. Desire leads to rivalry, leads to violence. I mean, it's very much a Genesis 4 kind of a text here. And um, I would note two things. Um, one is, what translation were you reading, Jim? Uh, New Living Translation. Okay. Your translation said evil desire. Yeah. Okay. It's not in the text. Okay. Okay. Um, it's, it's the the heathenon. The, um, we get the word hedonism. It's mm -hmm. out of your okay. hedonism. It's out of your these these hedonisms, these desire for pleasure, right? Mm -hmm. Comfort that these these rivalries are are created. Um, it's important to note too in chapter one, James has has kind of already gone over this, and the translations do it again. They they say. Um, uh, let, let no one, when, when he's tested, say, I'm tested, being tested by God. God can't be tested with evil, and he himself tests no one. Each person is tested when he's allured and enticed by his own desire. His own desire. The NIV and many other translations putting the word evil desire. Mm -hmm. they're, they're wanting, the, the, the translators, they shouldn't do that. You really, because it's it, it doesn't say desires evil. Desires natural, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're programmed, I mean, hardwired, our brains are hardwired to be imitative Xerox. So desire is not evil, but desire becomes evil when it's hedonon, it's hedonistic. It's, mm -hmm. oh, I, mm -hmm. I, you, know, you know, if I could just have this car, this house, whatever, you know, for, for me right now, it's a woman, you know. I don't like being single. I can't, I just can't do it. Yeah. You know, and I watch all the other couples around me and I'm just, it's like, Wow, I never noticed couples before. Mm -hmm. I didn't until you know Lori passed, and and now I noticed now I notice couples everywhere. It's just like wow, um, and and I have to admit that that you know that that desire could could become evil, you know, if I if I allowed myself to um, use manipulation or any kind of falsehood you know to to uh, seek to develop a relationship with a woman um but it's not evil in and of itself uh, i just wanted to make that correction because the, the right I, I appreciate that i because i i think that's lest anyone think de any desire is evil right um what james is saying it's when you're drawn away by that desire, um, and the in the scripture I read in in, in uh, chapter four, uh, it's that desire that 
says, I have to fulfill this desire. Mm -hmm. And he goes on to say, no, you should turn to God. Right. And even when you ask, you're asking for the wrong motive. You're still asking wrong. And, and so I can see why later translators would have put that word evil in there to try and prove a point. But even if you take that word out, it's still, when I turn it into uh, quarreling, warring mm -hmm. against others, Mm -hmm. manipulation, all of those things, the manifestation of it in, in, in itself, the desire isn't evil, but the manifestation becomes evil. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good point. Absolutely. We're, we're actually about at time here, guys. You <laughs> have got to be kidding me. We just got started. <laughs> time flies. Doing? Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> well, I think the devil just moved the clock uh, forward. Yeah, exactly. I don't, really, yes. I don't really think we're at, out of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, once again, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, Jim, where can people find your book? Amazon.com. All right. And Michael, where can people find your material? Uh, all over the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, obviously the books are at Amazon. Um, I mentioned uh, last week, I think it was last week, I mentioned the podcast Brad Jerzak and I did. Uh, if you just Google my name and his name uh, and Beyond the Box, you'll come up with that. Um, and then I have ch uh, YouTube. Just punch my name into YouTube and, you know, you'll get tons and tons of videos and yeah and they're they're all cures for insomnia if you can't sleep just put one of my things on before you wake the like i do cooking <laughs> all right well they've already got the podcast we're doing so <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. all right everybody thanks for tuning in we'll talk to y'all next week <laughs>